Welcome to Turf Dudes, show number 30. For this episode, we have a couple of new things going on. First, today's episode is part of a two-part series on a listener-requested topic, zoysia grass management. Second, episode 30 marks the first time we welcome a golf course superintendent as a guest on the show. Director of Agronomy Lucas Harvey and golf course superintendent Trent Emmon are the guys in charge at Atlanta Athletic Club. Atlanta Athletic Club is a historic golf club, which has hosted a range of major events, including a U.S. Amateur, two U.S. Opens, and three PGA Championships. Later this month, Atlanta Athletic Club will play host to the 2021 Women's PGA Championship. While recognized for its history, Atlanta Athletic Club is also known for pristine zoysia grass fairways. For that reason, we're excited to welcome Lucas and Trent to the show. My name is Dr. Jeff Atkinson, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Raymond Snyder. We serve as Directors of Agronomy for Heralds. We hope that today's episode will provide insight to those who may be considering a switch to zoysia grass and provide context for the ins, the outs, and the hows of zoysia fairway management. Enjoy the show. Appreciate you guys taking the time to join us. So one of the pieces of feedback we got from some of our customers was saying, hey, what topics are you interested in? One of them was was zoysia grass. So we started thinking about zoysia grass, you know, where's, what's known for zoysia grass? And I know Atlanta Athletic Club is is one of those that uh, is recognized as Zoysia Grass Club, has high turf quality, et cetera. But we, so we want to pick your guys' brain really about some of the differences about Bermuda grass management, Zoysia grass management, um, and how that transition has been overall. So I guess I'll get things started by just asking you guys, you know, how has that transition from your management experience in the past been from making the swap from Bermuda grass management over to Zoysia grass management? I'll go first. Lucas is going to have a little more in-depth probably answer because he's been doing it a lot longer than me. So I've been here about a year and a half. Um, grew Bermuda grass for 16 years prior to that. So the zoysia is fairly new to me. Um, definitely as far as the um, plain surface and um, a, a bit more turgid, I guess. The, you know, the ball is going to sit up, um, but with that comes the uh, maybe difficulties or challenges of getting a quality of cut, you know, et cetera. Um, obviously versus Bermuda, a little bit more disease pressure to think about. Um, but overall, I've got to say it is, um, I think for what those challenges present for me personally, I think it's definitely worth the investment just because it does produce uh, superior uh, tea and fairway service, especially for our environment here. Yeah, I think <clears throat> it's great, you know, to have Trent's perspective from a year and a half, so fresh off of Bermuda, and then mine was six years of a nice balance. But um, yeah, I mean, look, playing surface, it's, it's pretty hard to beat. Um, and it's funny, it, I would tell you the management of it, um, and not that that's the point of this meeting, but it's literally smack in the middle, somewhere between that grass and Bermuda grass, um, you know, a lot of, I think the biggest thing, the biggest transition from Bermuda grass to zoysia is two things. The timing, right? You just got to nail your timing and you got to be so focused on your soil temps, um, especially with large patch, um, any of that type of stuff. Uh, and then um, patience. Um, you're just not going to grow your way out of it. Uh, there's no running, there's no, you can, you can run out and put ammonium sulfate down. Obviously we do that in the spring to wake it up, but, um, then you're going to be backing it up with 
a Mirage app because you're just all you're going to do is incite large patch at that time of the year when you're trying to grow out of something. So it's 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 a lot more regimented and it's a lot more timing. And 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 I would tell you a lot of times it's less less is more, uh, especially when it comes to fertility. What what about you mentioned the temperatures? What what are some of the critical temperatures in in your guys's experience there in your area in which you're thinking of management practices based on those soil temps? Yeah, usually about fifty five degrees, right? So once once you kind of hit that range for your fall uh, application for large patch. Yep. So your large patch program consists of one or two fall applications, one or two spring applications. How does that typically look? So we are we are over the top on that. Yeah. Um, so we do two applications. Two, yeah, two fall, two spring, which is always more than the average club does. Sure. Um, and to be, I mean, fully transparent, we can afford to do it, and so why wouldn't we do it? Um, yeah. You know, we and we start out with a pro star application, um, which we did this year, which has really, really made a huge difference seems to kind of almost reset the clock or it's like the ultimate cleanse for the, the soil. It seems like the, the growing profile. What What's your strategy there for your first application? Is it, is it a, just a, an experience or a soil temperature or a day length? What, what gets you guys thinking it's time for that first fungicide application in the spring? Usually it's about, about 50. Yeah, I want to say it's, it's around the same for both. Because really, I mean, and Lucas, correct me if I'm wrong, it's really a matter of, you know, the which it was a learning process for me because, you know, I've had, grew up on cool season experience then been been dealing with Bermuda for so long. So this is, as Lucas said, brings it back sort of in that middle ground where you're you're, you're really focused on that, that temperature of uh, in, in the shoulder seasons, I guess. You know, yeah. Obviously, middle of the winter, grass isn't completely dormant, but it's close to it. So it's not, you don't really have to worry about a whole lot there. And then conversely, in the summer, it's hot. Zoysia is actually finally moving, finally growing. You don't have to worry about a whole lot there. So it's really that spring and fall where you're really focusing on where that grass is either slowing down, where it can't fight off, you know, that that large patch slash zoysia patch or the springtime where it maybe the disease has kicked in a little bit but it, it doesn't have the it, it hasn't woken up enough to um to combat that so you're really just those i mean it, you're as lucas said you're just you're, you're so temperature dependent time of year if you can nail those two the rest of the year is is, is a lot easier to handle so it's the same critical temperature in the fall and in the spring that you're that you're targeting. In a little bit. I mean, to answer your question more directly, Raymond, once we hit fifty, <clears throat> then you're starting to look at length of day, long term forecast. Right? Are we going to start? Are we going to? Are we going to creep up to fifty five? Are we going to stay above fifty five? But if there's a if there's another cold front and we're getting ready to cover greens in the thirties or twenties, just around the bend, then we then we won't do it. it that that becomes the fall's a little easier, right? You hit 55 and you're on a downward trend. Let's go. Put put it out. Um, the spring is, right, because you can get a little bump up here or there for a day. Um, of course, then we've got we've got sand-capped fairways, so that's another element of it. So that's where you're, okay, well, we hit 50 today. Um, what time, when did we hit it? 
Um, you know, how long are the days? What, 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 you know, where are we at in the calendar in relation to that? And what's the long-term forecast? Because, right, if you got a nor'easter that's going to plow through again in late February or early March, and it's like, okay, well, we can hold off again. So it really, and then, and then you're trying to look at right. So, so for us, we're doing two applications. Historically, here we get hit with large patch every Memorial Day weekend, mm. right? So normally, right, we're 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 almost trying to work backwards off of that, which sometimes doesn't work when you begin to get 85 degree weather, 80 degree weather in the first week of March, which can happen in Atlanta. Yep. First, you can also get a heavy frost, you know, the, the third week of April. So it's yes. such a fine line between all that. You know, this year, we're fine. We're not going to get any pressure on Memorial Day weekend because it's going to be 93, 94 degrees all next week. Um, but the last three years, like clockwork, you could, you could guarantee that you were going to get some patch pressure Memorial Day week. It would be cloudy, rainy, low 80s, you know, and your soil temps would still be down in the high 50s, just, you know, or maybe low 60s, just perfect weather for it. Now, you noted something earlier, and you noted that you had done a sand capping of the fairways during your 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 renovation. Uh, what was the strategy behind the, the sand capping of the fairways in, in terms of setting the zoysia up for, for success? Those are kind of like wet feet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, and you can see it on the river side, which we're getting to renovate, getting ready to renovate next year. Right? We just came off a year of 82 inches of rain, and those fairways are actually not sand capped on the river side, but they're probably contaminated 40 with 40% of it being Bermuda grass. I mean, it's a, it's almost like a 60 40 zoysia to Bermuda on, on some holes, it's probably 50 50 or less. But you can see the Bermuda actually do better coming off of a record rainfall year than the zoysia. So the point being, um, the zoysia just, you know, just doesn't like wet feet. That's good. So sand capping the fairways minimizes the disease potential on the zoysia and also gives it a competitive advantage relative to the Bermuda grass, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I want to go back to your, you mentioned the ammonium sulfate in the spring to push growth. And then how do you typically follow up after that point? You know, what type of fertility strategies have you found that you need to follow for zoysia grass versus what you maybe saw with Bermuda grass? Uh, well, minus um, the foliar applications um, every two weeks, you know, roughly. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go out very shortly with a, um, uh, sort of a slow release, um, nitrogen, potassium as well. So that's going to carry us really through aerification, which is historically here, um, you know, first part of July. We're going to be a little delayed this year with um, some tournaments. Um, but what are we at? What, three and a half for the year? Three, three and a quarter to three yeah. and a half at the most. So. Okay. Pretty much, yeah. What we're looking for, um, yeah. With I would say one. Well, this year we probably were a little bit, which is one of the reasons why we were diligent too with the, the spray program with the with the women's PGA next month. Um, we did a second sulfate app um, in the spring just to get us make sure we were on the right track because we were fairly cool all spring and you know, really just now um yeah. really started, started warming up but but to trent's point that three and a quarter three and a half is on our sand capped golf course 
we're sub three. We're more like two and a half pounds on the non non uh, sand cap golf course. So generally, I guess in a general sense, it'd be a bit less of a maybe 25, 30% less nitrogen than someone might apply in a similar scenario for a Bermuda grass golf course in your area. Yeah. 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 Roughly speaking, in rough terms. Now, with that level of fertility, I say it doesn't really start moving, it doesn't start growing until the temperatures really pick up. What have you guys, as far as cultural practices, I know Diamond Zoysia grass, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it is Diamond Zoysia grass as a cultivar. No. What's no, Zorro, we have Zorro on the highlands of San Cap, and we have Zeon on the riverside. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, with Zorro and Zeon, how, how does that respond to the cultural practices? One, I mean, what cultural practices can you uh, implement? And then two, how does it recover? Um, it's all relative, right? So it, it recovers um, with the level of cultural practices that we give, right? So obviously we airify... Uh, Two-inch spacing with with five eighths times. I mean, not much different than Bermuda grass in that aspect. Uh, and then we verticut it, um, but nowhere near to the degree. Right, you're not gonna have you're not gonna have the verticutters bottomed out and spitting out big, you know, fifteen foot tall rooster tails going down the middle of fairway. <laughs> but it does need verticut, um, and we've we we've gotten more aggressive over the years, but to, you know, nowhere to the magnitude that. that does and it recovers just fine i mean at that point in the summer it, it's 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 at full growth rate and it's i mean it's moving right along um in relative terms of what soja does obviously not as fast as for me fast i think with what lucas said though you know for me the learning experience of being relatively further north than with florida is such a more goes back to the timing thing that you can't really miss that window with zoysia because it, you know, you go too late and you know, even though it's hot, you get too late. You know, you get into August where you, one, you know, fall is actually going to come to the University of Florida and you know, the daylight's going to start getting shorter relatively soon. So you really have to hit, if you're going to hit cultural practices very heavy at all. I really think you need to focus on that, you know, middle of summer, as warm as it is, and then the longest daylight that you can, because you want to make sure that that zoysian has that time to recover before it starts cooling off, because it's just not, you're not going to get that extra recovery time, whereas a Bermuda fairway, and you know what, you know what's eventually going to fill in. Right. How about, how about top dressing? How does that work into y'all's equation, or does it? Yeah, we really just do it once a year during that, the heavy you know, the aerification and verticutting in July. Gotcha. If you had Bermuda grass in your, at your golf course, would you conduct more cultural practices to it? Uh, feel it's more flexible to recover relative to the zoysia grass? Um, no, because you got the same window, temperature window. It's the same thing. I think what we would do, correct me if I'm wrong, we would be more aggressive. Gotcha. one window we might go two directions with the air fire we might go two directions with the verticutter we might you know we might double the amount of sand that we top dress it with um but it would all still be in that same window i mean i tell the story all the time my first year here um it was mid-september i matter of fact it was my birthday but you know so middle of september and came into work on a monday morning and it was it was 38 degrees so but now that's 
not normal. I, I don't think it's but I don't think we've had that sense. I'd have to look at my records. I mean, it can also still be ninety-two degrees on Halloween. It, but but you've just got that you've just got you know that variability with the the weather here. So the trends point, you got to hit it in July and you got to get it all grown back in really by Labor Day weekend, um, and be ready to roll into the fall. So I think the one thing if you had Bermuda or you um, if you went after it really heavy, maybe you could really juice it up a bit more right when you got done. That if you were if you did more cultural practices, or if you were slightly later, you may would have maybe would have a little bit more um, latitude of pushing it in the late summer, early fall. Whereas zoysia, you're only going to push it so far, and it's just going to it's going to recover, but it's going to it's just not going to be at the pace of growing anywhere. Now, talking about going into fall, what kind of uh, color retention have you guys experienced going into fall versus what you might see with the Bermuda grass? I guess especially on on the property that's, you know, 60-40, 50-50 Bermuda zoysia. Do you see any differential uh, going off color or in, and also in the spring, you know, coming back in, into color? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would tell you, you get two months on the front end and two months on the back end of the zoysia holding its color over the Bermuda. Wow. And I don't know if you want to touch on the the Ronstar, the float, you know, too. Oh yeah. I mean, you got to, I mean, the, the one thing you got to be careful here too, is this, especially on the sand capped golf course, sometimes your zoysia just never goes fully dormant. So it actually, it, it's good and bad in the fact that it, it, that's great, but for color, but it's bad in the fact that you can't, uh, you can't go out there with the uh, Ronstar flow some, some winters. So how do you, what kind of indicator do you use? Are you looking at, you know, digging down and seeing if there's any green tissue down in the thatch layer or? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And coincidentally, we have that, that challenge, um, two different places. You know, we actually have it with Tiff Grand Bermuda grass on the golf course that never, that, that canopy like, like Zoysia is extremely dense. Um, Tiff Grand never goes dormant here, fully dormant here. So, uh, it doesn't get any Ronstar flow ever. I guess that also impacts some of the decisions as far as herb other herbicides, post-emerge herbicides, et cetera, that you may apply during the winter months to control POA, broadleaves, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It will. Have you all had much of a, I guess, as far as traffic tolerance goes, wear tolerance? You know, last year we had more rounds than, than ever across the golf industry. Uh, with with zoysia grass, you know, what type of wear tolerance do you guys experience? You know, teeing grounds, fairways, on all all those areas. I mean, comparison. Now, granted, if you had zoysia roughs, which thank goodness we don't. Um, if we did, then you may run into a little bit of issue. I mean, we're seeing our cart traffic issues, obviously, where most people would um, on offs from cart paths. Um, but the, the, the canopy of the zoysia is just, it's so dense. I mean, if you're going to talk about traffic um, tolerance, um, if you had a fairway of, you know, Bermuda and zoysia grass together, I, I would say zoysia is going to hold up on the long term. I think it's just so, it's just it's like driving over a range mat constantly. You know, anything is going to show some signs of wear. But and I think it's a lot of it is the cushion maybe of that sort of that matte thatched layer of zoysia that maybe it is maybe there just has the crown of the plant has that little bit of extra 
pushing to it where it's just not going to get maybe quite as compacted as a Bermuda grass would. Conversely, though, divot recovery slower yeah. on the Zoysia. When you're talking about extra rounds of golf, then you've got the issue of more divot. Yeah, and if it, like we had, if you have uh, swales where catch basins are with 80 plus inches of rain and a record high number of rounds, that's not a good formula for growing grass back in. No, I mean, do you have do you have an option? Can you push it? I think you guys already hit on this, but can you push it with a fertilizer application foliar? or otherwise granular on, on T-tops, does that have any benefit or are you just shooting yourself in the foot down the road in terms of disease? Yeah, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. That, that, that goes back to the less is more. Right. Yeah, you're sort of just, uh, I mean, for us, you know, luckily, like as we just said, we're going to hit some pretty ugly, nasty 90 plus degree weather, which is what we've been praying for here. So you're at the, and, I mean, that's probably similar to Bermuda grass, though, you know, in the, in the late spring, you know, as summer starts coming on, um, that you're going to have to have that, have to really have it to start moving laterally to fill those in. Well, I guess the last question I have for you guys, at least, have there been really any surprises, you know, as far as in your experience since going to Zoysia grass, you said, hey, I've got this set of preconceived notions about what zoysia grass management is going to be. Um, is there anything different from that, you know, since you've been managing it for several years, Lucas, and then uh, Trent for a couple of years in your mind, just making the switch? Any? I don't, think I, I don't know. I guess I really didn't have, uh, I had very limited. I had a tea box here or there. actually had some past palum, I guess. So that's um, in my mind, visually, maybe it probably you know, has gives an appearance of maybe more of a past column, um, obviously versus zoysia grass looking at it. So, um, you know, I wasn't naive to that, you know, herbicide injury, you know, you maybe have to be selective about what you're spraying um, versus Bermuda grass, which is fairly bulletproof for, for most herbicides. So um, I really just, I, I guess I don't, I probably, I don't know that I've ever actually played on zoysia before um fairway wise that's probably as i started you know the conversation with is just the, the overreaching thing to me is just how good of a playing surface it is and how tight you can get it i mean when it is good it is there's not much better i, I actually i think i did um tell lucas a while ago i think the closest thing i've i played on fescue fairways before and i feel almost like Zoysia is the closest thing to fescue. It's obviously a much wider leaf blade, but it's a very dry surface. It can get very fast. So um, I guess maybe there is, in my mind, from a playability factor, there is a correlation there. Yeah, I think my surprises were, to Trent's point, I think just how good it can be right as a plain surface, number one. Um, the wow factor it can do with the contrast against Bermuda grass. Um, the, the speed, the speed of the fairways, how much roll you can get, but conversely, it's the horrible grass around the greens because then it's sticky around there. So taking a tee shot, taking a ball off of a driver, right? You can get great roll. You can get great, great release, but then up around the greens, it's, it's sticky. Um, and then I, you know, a, a surprise learning curve for me when I got here was 
um, just how much it, you know, it does not love growth regulators. Mm-hmm. Uh, need it, you need it, and you need it in a certain dose. But you know what we saw was how it struggled as a on the collars and green surrounds up up against Ultradorf, right? Because you're every week you're pumping that little bit of of growth regulator in there, um, and it does it, it does not do well. It actually will go backwards on that, and, and henceforth why we actually have fifth grand around our all of our greens now because it's basically an extension of the green. Um, and then maybe the only other surprise would be just how grainy it can actually get. Hmm. Um, I did not realize that um, when you came up here. I mean, I mean, jerk the steering wheel out of your hand in a golf cart if you're not managing that with grooming. You know, I think we're doing it this Monday. So, I mean, you know, we do a lot of circle mowing, a, a lot. And, and you would have thought, right, slower growth rate, you got to be careful with that. No, it absolutely loves the circle mowing. Very, I would relate it to a Brillo pad. And I think our our equipment manager would probably, what do you say? It's like cutting pencil length, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a whole probably different topic of conversation, but it probably falls more on, on those guys to, to produce something and keep uh, real sharp when you're mowing something that is, that is uh, that abrasive. So is there more time spent with the mechanics on sharpening reels, keeping them sharp than, than what you had with Bermuda grass previously? Exponentially. Yeah. Exponentially. I mean, and that, so that would also fall under the learn, you know, you know, things we didn't know or learning curve of coming up here. I mean, I remember a lot of days in the first year going out on a Friday afternoon or a Saturday and, you know, get sending the picture to the equipment manager. Why are the fairways white? Right. Cause the, the cut was no good. The leaf blade was a shred. So just learning what it took different, different attack angles, you know, even more hardened bed knives than what you would normally use. Um, just learning that as well. But he, yeah, I mean, he, Trent, he said it exactly. Our, our equipment manager says it all the time. He's like, look, all I'm trying to do is keep those blades sharp enough to cut pencil lead. <laughs> we probably should have included him in this conversation because he was their equipment manager for Bermuda grass. So that would have been yeah. a whole nother perspective. Right. He, yeah. he, he give you a whole nother hour. <laughs> <laughs> <Kidding. laughs> So, I mean, that, that's kind of the unexpected cost of the whole. I mean, you have increased fungicide budgets. You have increased labor hours in terms of the maintenance, maybe a little bit less fertility, so a little bit less cost there potentially. But there's some, sounds like there's some pretty big trade-offs cost-wise that are, that are not just saying, hey, these are your inputs. There's also labor yeah, concerns. Yeah, I mean, but, and you're going to use less water, right? It, it, it's more drought tolerant. You can, you can, you can lean it out a little bit more. So it's, it's a balance. I mean, it's a give and take for between the two of them on different sides. I would say, I mean, you got you definitely going back to the the, the mower thing. You've got to have an equipment manager that is um, obviously qualified, but is also, uh, as Lucas pointed out, it's a it's a it's a learning curve. You so you have to have somebody that's going to be willing to adjust, probably. So if you say, oh, you're going from Bermuda to Zoysia, know and be willing to accept that there there's going to have to be a difference it can't just be oh i've been doing this for 20 years on these bermuda grass fairways and it's going to work over there because most likely it's not you just got to be prepared to accept that well what do you guys think that that latitude line is in which it tips the scales towards utilizing bermuda grass in the fairways relative to zoysia grass where's that north south line in, in which you're going to make the flip to Bermuda grass? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I, I don't know if there's really a right answer there. Um, I know some people are, I know there's, I know Zoe's just making its way up. It's made its way all the way to South Florida. I think it's picking up a lot of popularity in North Florida. Um, I think you, I do think that the Zoysia needs some time off. I, I think the dormancy period is important for the plant. Number one. Number two, it's also important that it's not growing 12 months a year because back to our earlier conversation, you know, you can't just go out there and shred it like a Bermuda grass. Um, and I would, I would imagine, not having experience, I would imagine that the more humidity, you know, I think you, you would just start to increase your disease pressure windows. Uh, I mean, you look at, like, uh, you know, take a, a South Florida, for example, just because I worked down there for so many years. I mean, my gosh, you, you, could, you could be, what, November through March? Uh, I mean, that could be all, that, that's all prime. You look at soil temperatures, length of day, humidity, you know, hot, your highs and lows. I mean, you, you could potentially have, what, uh, six months of, of large patch window. Um, and so I don't know how that would work, right? Number one, obviously, you can only apply so much product per year. Uh, you know, so you, you've got all that stuff. So it, I, I'd, I'd be fascinated to hear about it or learn about it. Um, but you would think... Right, zoysia essentially gets gets too, in terms of disease pressure, large pressure gets too off season, right? Gets so cold and goes dormant to where there's no pressure, and then it gets so hot that it can grow right through, and it's just not an issue. Um, so if you started to expand that to six or seven months, that that would be interesting. And, and then it, just from a playability and cultural practices, I, I mean, I would think you're you're just compounding your your thatch buildup and all, all those issues. So. Yeah. I guess maybe North Florida might be, uh, mm -hmm. but, but in theory, yeah. So it needs a break. You you think that it it needs it it desires a break just for the health of the plant and all the other factors. I, I mean, I'm just going off of what we experience here. That, that's kind of it, it. Kind of fits into its sweet spot. Yeah, uh, I would be. I guess would be the right way to say it. Right. How did you guys go about establishing? Did you sod sprig? Sod always sod. Did it, in your experience, when you laid the sod, did it take a while for the zoysia grass, the I guess the sod lines, to disappear, or did those dissipate pretty quickly? Um, it it takes a while, uh, obviously in relative terms to Bermuda grass. You know, the thing that we have found, it's about the condition that the sod comes in. So. If you're bringing it in from a sod farm, it's more about that that sod farm, hopefully, you know, well, not hopefully, I would tell somebody, make sure you go out and make the agreement and, and, and inspect what you expect. Um, I wouldn't want a sod farm to be harvesting anything really sooner than like 14 or 15 months, but preferably 18 months old. Mm -hmm. So that it's coming in already with a great structure. Because I've seen us where we get sod it doesn't have a great structure, right? It doesn't have a great base to it. And then, yes, Jeff, to your point, you could you could be into your second growing season and still see lines. Wow. But if you get a good want, if you get a good base in that, and that's what I said, like, you know, referring back to the Highlands project when we regrassed that, the sod came in in great condition and we had the sand cap. But I've seen us put it on native soil that, you know, the very next growing season, you can still see those same seams. 
And you can do that. Can you can request of a sod organization, a sod company that you'd like a sod of a, a specific maturity? If you can, if you are willing to go to contract and put a deposit far enough out, right? So, you know, from a large scale project, right? You're you're having to commit a year and a half or two years out and go to contract for that. So, so that ensure that they've planted that field well in advance. Um, but most of them are going to, be planting, you know, any good growers going to plant far enough in advance and have a rolling inventory. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for right now where everyone has gone crazy and spent a whole bunch of money on their landscape. And I mean, <laughs> in the landscape market here, there's, there's like no zoysia available, but wow. I mean, add that to the list of gas and pipe and every, you know, every other thing that's not available right now, plywood. Yeah. Two by fours. Yeah. $10 for a two by four. Yeah. And I think the sod um, on a smaller scale, you know, we just saw it here is when you get it in the springtime, um, we had multiple loads and the load at the end was several weeks behind the first load, but the last load probably um, blended and filled in better because it was just, it was greener when it came in, you know, it was later in the season. So it was... It's it's a very uh, a fine line in the spring doing any sodding with zoysia because you you want to be proactive and you want to get these any areas we had a bunch of drainage work done that we were with the tournament coming up we wanted to go ahead and, and get rid of those less sod seams you know bring stuff in and then you do that and then you realize well like you know the stuff that came in two or three weeks after that actually visually looked better and just fit right in just because the sod was it, it, it was uh, had that extra time to to grow and bring up yeah that's a little counterintuitive you'd think you'd want it there sooner to minimize the seams but it sounds like a little later uh the sod's a little more stout and mature coming in there and you, you get less of that that's interesting yeah the day one yeah. of the days we laid sod we actually covered greens so that was that's not exactly the best recipe success. <laughs> Gosh. No. Well, that's all I have. Raymond, any more questions on your end? No, that's great. I, we know you guys are busy. You're you have plenty plenty to do today. So we we appreciate that. That was that was really good information. I think our, our listeners will really like that. Yeah guys appreciate your time. Appreciate your insight. It's um correct me if I'm wrong, Raymond, but I believe you guys may be the first uh group of superintendents to be on the podcast. So we're uh, oh. That's right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's so right. it's, uh, I appreciate you guys jumping on. We're kind of changing how we do things to a degree by getting some different perspectives from folks other than just the university guys. Because uh, when we get feedback from our customers, like, hey, what do you want to hear? It's like, well, we want to hear from more superintendents. So talking to you guys who do it at an extremely high level, I think it'll have a lot of interest from from our folks. So appreciate it. Yep. Thank you so much. Time. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thank you. That wraps up our interview with Lucas Harvey and Trent Inman of Atlanta Athletic Club. Please join us next time for part two of our Zoysia Grass series with Don Garrett, golf course superintendent of the Walker course at Clemson University on Zoysia Grass Greens Management. Turf dudes exist to communicate important research findings and turf management trends to turf grass managers as part of Harold's effort to grow a better world. If you enjoy the show, we want your feedback. If you have a topic you'd like for us to address or a person you'd like to hear from, please send it to us at turfdudes at heralds.com. That's T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S at heralds.com. 
While you're at it, please subscribe to our show on iTunes, YouTube Music, or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time.